Our scripture reading this evening is found in Matthew chapter 19, verses 21 and 22. Matthew 19, verses 21 and 22. And it reads, Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man had heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. As you are likely aware, the last five or six months have been hard for our family and losing both of uh, my dad's parents, my grandparents, granny and granddad, and I was privileged to speak at both of their funerals and uh, along with my cousin and a, a, couple, a couple of my cousins and, and brothers, but um, my cousin said something that was very uh, interesting to me, and a phrase that I've heard, and a phrase that probably we've all used at one point or another, but in light of what I've been thinking about, what's been on my heart and mind lately, it stuck out to me more than it ever had in the past. And the phrase was this, what I or we wouldn't give for just a few more minutes with them. What we wouldn't give for just a few more minutes of conversation, for a few more minutes of of time together with our grandparents because we love them and, and many of you no doubt have experienced some of those same feelings and and no doubt have maybe even expressed that exact same sentiment and it's it's one that that many in the world use even about their family members that that aren't christians and and it's just something that we we think about because we realize that what we love so dearly is now long now no longer attainable it's not there it's not not something that we can actually achieve and, and, and enjoy in. And so this evening, just three considerations for you that have are, are being propelled by that particular thought that has been on my mind lately. Consideration number one for you, very uh, getting into it right away. Consideration number one for you is this. For the Christian, that sentiment and statement is not out of the realm of possibility. The sentiment that was expressed before was what we wouldn't give or what we wouldn't do to have just a few more moments of, of conversation with our grandparents. Most of the world might mean what, what I wouldn't give. I, I would give my house or I would give my car or I would, I would pay this amount of money if I could just spend a few more minutes in conversation with my loved one. But for a Christian who has ancestors or other loved ones that are faithful Christians, that sentiment is not out of the realm of possibility. Not maybe in a transactional nature that we might think as though we might literally be able to give some sort of money as, as maybe someone in the world might mean in order to have that, that time together once again. But as was read in our scripture reading just a moment ago, I want us all to open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter number 19. So we our first text for the evening, Matthew chapter number 19, and thinking about what we have coined as the rich young ruler. And I want us to go back and read the context and, and, and think about what's taking place here. Jesus has been teaching and he has been asked questions and here comes 
this young ruler as we know him, and he notices something about Jesus that causes him to run to him and and ask him these things. Notice what, what takes place, verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he, Jesus, said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Jesus isn't de- denying deity here. He's, he's simply re- helping this young man recognize that because he is recognizing this good that's within Jesus, there happens to be, there has to be this correlation between him and God. In verse 18, he said to him, which ones, which commandments am I to keep? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you, sh- and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What are you willing to give? This passage of Scripture isn't suggesting that Christians need to give all of their money or give all of their possessions away or sell all of their possessions and give it to the poor in order to be a faithful Christian. There was something about this young man that that was a necessity for him, that was an expectation that Jesus was placing upon him because Jesus knew his heart. So don't take away from this section of Scripture that this is something that we have to do. Maybe it is for you, but it's not something that's imperative to attain salvation or to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. But Jesus recognized in this man that there was something that he wasn't willing to give up. The question for us tonight, in light of the, 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 the statement that we began with, what I wouldn't give to have just a few more moments with my family members, if, if that loved one is a faithful Christian, what would you not give? Are you willing to not give your attention, or are you not willing to give your attention? So many things are competing for our attention in this world today. When you think about the devices that we have and, and the events that take place, and obviously things have slowed down maybe a little bit this year in terms of our schedule, but no doubt we will find a way to fill up the calendar. We'll find a way to fill up every moment of every day, and we have so many opportunities before us. Are we not willing to give our attention to the things of Scripture that would allow us to have that opportunity to see our loved ones once again. We say, what I wouldn't give, but are we willing to spare just a few moments for spiritual things? Am I willing to give up not just my attention, but am I willing to give up my possessions? Thinking about Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, and what, what takes place in the following verses here about the rich young ruler, there was something that he literally was not willing to give up in order to have eternal life. Eternal life is that exceedingly great goal even beyond just seeing our family members. This is just a, a, a secondary benefit or a secondary goal or blessing. Are we not willing to even give up some of our possessions? Maybe it's my job, my, my hobbies, my interests, anything that gets in the way of my focus. Am I not willing to give those things up to see those loved ones once again? 
Or am I willing to give up my privileges and preferences? You might say, I'm a free will human being. And we are. We're endowed with that as, as human beings by our Creator. But in order to see that loved one again, am I willing to divest myself of the rights that I presume that I have? We might say, I have the right to do what makes me happy. That's technically your right as a free will human being, but it's not the way or the avenue by which you will have that opportunity to see that loved one once again that's a faithful Christian. And so as we think about this this consideration, what I wouldn't do to see that loved one once again, finally, ultimately, am I willing to give my life? Am I willing to give my possessions, my attention, my, my privileges and preferences, ultimately in totality, am I not willing to give my life? As we think about Romans chapter number 12, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, not your physical body in the sense of a sacrifice that maybe the, the, the religious world might think of a literal physical sacrifice, but that we might use our bodies in service to Him and offer our entire life. Would we not give our life? We, we say, we, uh, there's so much that I would give in order to see my loved one once again. If it's faithful Christian, are we not willing to give our life? That's consideration number one. Consider consideration number two. There, there's another side to this coin. There's another side of the coin here. That is, what someone on the other side wouldn't give to spend just one more minute with their loved one. By the other side, I mean the one who is in torment. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter number 16. Luke chapter number 16. You think about what we wouldn't give to have that opportunity to see that loved one that we've had in this life, though we're left behind, what we wouldn't give to go or have just a few more minutes with them. What about the one who's already gone on? Would they not have a desire also to perhaps have a time with you? It seems that that's the case from Luke chapter number 16, verse number 19. At least those that are in torment. This is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. There was a certain man, Jesus said, a certain rich man who was clothed in purple, verse 19, and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at the gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there's this great fixed gulf, so that, one who, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can they, those from there pass to us. But notice then what the rich man says. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, that being Lazarus, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If, you, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded 
through one, the one rise from the dead. If you had that one more moment with that loved one that you so desire to be with once again, what would you do with them? Would you spend that moment chewing the fat, just talking about random things, maybe recalling old times together? What if you had an entire day with them? Would you go to that special place that you share with them? Would you spend all those, uh, all those moments doing things that you used to do together? Don't you know that if the rich man was given one more minute with his loved ones, that he would have pleaded with them to be saved? That he would have spoken to them about the torment that he was experiencing, that he would have said to them, look, I don't want you to deal with the things that I'm dealing with, and so please listen to Moses and the prophets. Listen to me. Hear me out. What would he sacrifice to be able to share that admonition with them? He, he first asked for the drop of water to quench his thirst. That wasn't available. What's the next thing on his mind? If you won't let me have that, then at least spare me the knowledge of knowing that my loved ones are taught. It's a startling thought. It's a startling thought to think about that from the perspective of even a parent. That assuming the natural order of things, if I die first and assuming the Lord doesn't return first, that one day I'm going to be hopefully in paradise awaiting the future inevitable death of my children And that if I could go back to them and speak to them, that I would certainly plead with them all the more, more than I had ever had in this life, to do what was right, to be saved. If I had one more minute with them, how much more earnestly would I plead with them to be saved? Would I not wish to rewind the time, to put a little bit more effort into raising them right, to teaching them about God, spending a few more minutes of, of having regular nightly Bible time, whatever it might be, in order to have a, a, a greater influence on them? If I could rewind the time, but if I, if I couldn't do that, maybe I could at least go from paradise and, and talk to them in the life that they're still living in and plead with them once again. I don't know that we can say for sure, but there seems to be the potential that we could look across that great fixed gulf and see those suffering and torment. But brethren, we already can see those things now. Why? Because we have faith in the Word of God. Because the Word of God tells us about these things. We already know that it's going to come to pass. Maybe we can't see them with our physical eyes, but we can see them with the eyes of faith. So why would we not use the minutes that we do have now to share with them the things that they need to know, to share with our loved ones what they need to do, to encourage them to do what's right? Because we have these moments now, because we know if we were in paradise and we could look across and see those in torment, we wouldn't want our children to be there. We wouldn't want any of our loved ones to be there, and so let's do it now. Consideration number three. If we wanted to call this a game, this game of what we wouldn't give, what we wouldn't give just to have one more moment with our loved one, we call that a game. We, we could say that Jesus has already played that game in a sense. That is, what do I mean by that? He, he's already completed the hypothetical scenario of what I wouldn't give to save that loved one and that loved one 
and that loved one, all of his loved ones, to have just one more day with them, not a 24-hour day, but an eternal blissful day. Jesus has done that. He, he played the game. What I wouldn't give so that they could be with me in paradise, so that they could be with me in heaven for eternity. Consider that the God of the universe gave, first and foremost, his attention. He gave his attention. He has every right to focus on himself, to recognize and revel in and regard his own greatness, his own majesty, his own power, his might. But instead, he turns his focus from inward to outward. His mind, his attention is concerned and given over to us. Remember Psalm chapter number 8? Psalm 8, this, this wonderful section of Scripture in which there is this this lyrical text that is given about our Lord. Verse number one. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, All the wonderful things I see about you, God, I look around and I can't help but be amazed at your majesty, your glory, your greatness. What does the psalmist say? What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. God had every right to have his attention fixed and focused on himself because he is the eternal one. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, has every reason to have all glory brought to him. And instead, though, of focusing on himself, he looked down and, as is said in Psalm 8, verse 4, what is man that this great God is mindful of me? And he sacrificed or gave his attention in that sense. But not only did he give his attention, but Jesus, as God, gave up his possessions. What wouldn't God give? What wouldn't Jesus give in order to save a loved one? His creation? He gave not only his attention, but his possessions. What possessions, you might say? How, how is it that Jesus had possessions? Well, think about Psalm chapter 45. You're already there in Psalm 8. Turn over a few pages to Psalm 45. And look at verse number 8. And speaking of, the psalmist is is talking about the Messiah and and pictures him or portrays him as this king and how he has glory and majesty, verse number 3. And he rides, in your majesty ride prosperously because of the truth, humility and righteousness. Your right hand shall teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under God. He's talking about the majesty of the Messiah. But then in verse number 8, all your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad. Now we don't know exactly what heaven looks like or what it will be like. But the imagery here that is portrayed of heaven is of Jesus leaving those ivory palaces. Sound familiar? The song that we sing, out of the ivory palaces into a world of woe. Only His great eternal love made my Savior go. He sacrificed His possessions 
in that sense from a materialistic standpoint of, of what he may or may not possess in, in at least an imagery standpoint of how we might perceive what heaven might be like. But not only that, but he, he gave up possessions in the sense of he gave up what he possessed in infinite time and health. Not only the ivory palaces, but also infinite time and health. Thinking about John chapter 1, verses 1-4, through 4, that Jesus was in the beginning. That from the very beginning of time, Jesus existed. He was eternal and had infinite time at His disposal. But then if we were to look a few pages over at John chapter 4, when Jesus comes to the woman at the well, what is said about Jesus there? Jesus comes to the well and He's wearied. He's, weary, he's tired from his journey, and he sits down at the well. Jesus gave possessions from a standpoint of where he dwelt, but also from a standpoint of what he had at his disposal, which was infinite time and infinite health. That was, he didn't ever have to worry about getting tired, but now here he is in this world, and he's tired. And he gets sleepy. Matthew chapter number 8, verses 23 through 27, the great account of Jesus sleeping in the bottom of the ship at the, at the storm. He sleeps. In Luke chapter 22, verse 44, he's praying in agony in the garden. And whether or not these are literal sweat drops of blood or whether that's, they were like sweat drops of blood falling down from his head, Jesus is sweating, he's agonizing, he's hurting, he's in pain. You know, I wonder if Jesus before the cross ever broke a bone. I wonder if he ever had a stomach bug and, and endured some of the same things that, that you and I endure. He, he was a human, so certainly it's likely that he did. And he gave himself up from heaven, gave up those things not only from where he dwelt, but also what he had at his disposal in terms of that infinite health. And, by natu and naturally, the byproduct of that infinite health, the last thing he gave up from a possession standpoint is his immortality. By taking on flesh and by becoming flesh, Jesus subjected himself to the inevitability of mortality. So Jesus gave up. He gave his attention. He gave up his possessions. Consider also, and there's some overlap here, but Jesus gives up or gave up his rights and privileges. Thinking of Philippians chapter number 2 and the fact that he emptied himself, or another translation might put it, he humiliated himself. What does that mean? How did he humiliate himself? Not that he did something wrong that humiliated him, but that he humbled himself or that he brought himself down low. How did he do that? The very God of heaven, the one that created all things, Colossians chapter number 1, Jesus the Creator subjected himself to the laws of the creation of nature that he created himself. So we've just been speaking of already, giving into and subjecting himself to the pains of this life. But not only that, he subjected himself to childhood. Have you ever thought about that? That the God of heaven humiliated himself, again, not in a way that he did something wrong, but he, he brought himself so low that he went from being the God of heaven to a babe in a manger. He subjected himself to childhood depended upon a mother to raise him, depended upon a mother to dress his wounds and to, to change him, to change his clothes, to think about what Jesus gave up so that he might save his loved ones, you and I. He subjected himself to the rulers of the world. 
within the confines of righteousness, certainly. And that he subjected himself to the government of, of the, the land around him. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, Matthew 22, verse 21. Not only that, it seems that there may be an indication that Jesus emptied himself even of the privilege of what some have estimated that is the glory that deity possesses. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter number 17. It's an interesting thing that Jesus says here. John chapter 17, verse 4 and 5. Jesus says, I've glorified you, praying to God on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. There's some difference maybe of opinion on exactly what that might mean, but it could be that Jesus is speaking of maybe the glory that, that deity possesses that was spoken of this morning in regards to what Moses would have been in, in the presence of on the mount that caused his face to shine, that, that Jesus perhaps divested himself of that glory, at least it was veiled in some sense, that he subjected himself even to that. But then he subjected himself to the will of the Father, John chapter, 17, uh, John chapter 6, verses 30, verse 38. And that he was not doing his own will, but he was doing the will of him who sent him, that being God the Father. And in some way, Jesus as a man in the flesh subjected himself even in some way to the lack of knowledge. Matthew chapter 24, verse number 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. What did Jesus give up? What did he, he give so that His loved ones could be saved? He gave attention to us. He gave His possessions. He gave up the privileges and rights. And finally, He gave, ultimately, His life. Matthew chapter 20, verse number 28, He came and He gave His life as a ransom for many Romans chapter number 5, we think about this great passage as Paul's writing to the church at Rome in which he reminds them in chapter 5, verse number 6 through 11, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He gave his life. But look, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, or as, as it might be appropriate for our point at this time, Christ gave his life for us so that you and I might be saved much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation and so coming back to where we began, the question or the statement or the sentiment of what, would, what I wouldn't give to have just a few more moments with my loved one, just as Jesus gave his attention to us, are you not willing to give your attention to him? Not for the, only the sake of seeing your loved ones again, but for the primar primary sake of seeing God. 
for the primary sake, ultimately, of glorifying Him. That's our ultimate goal, but also recognizing the reward that is so eternally blissful and sweet. And and a byproduct of that is also to see that loved one. Just as Jesus gave up His possessions, am am I willing to give up my possessions to see not just my loved one, but the most beloved one of all? Just as Jesus gave up the privileges and rights of deity, am I willing to give up my privileges and preferences of of free will humanity? Yes, I'm a free will human being, but am I willing to give up my preferences and privileges of that free will status so that I might see Him? And just as Jesus gave His life a ransom for me, ultimately am I willing to give up my life as a sacrifice for Him? I wonder if Granny and Granddad came back to talk to me right now. What would we talk about? I wonder if we had a day together. Where would we go? Would we go to to the bend to go fishing together again? I don't know. But I'm pretty sure that if they came and talked to me right now, that they would say, stay faithful. That's what I want to talk to you about more than anything. Because we have enjoyed paradise for this short time, and we want you to enjoy it with us. What would you give to see your loved one once again? But ultimately, what would you give to glorify the Father, and to see Him eternally, and to glorify and praise Him for eternity? If you're not a Christian this evening, you're not giving what you need to give. You need to give your life over to Him. You need to submit to Him in obedient faith, having your sins washed away in baptism, walking in newness of life. But maybe you have already become a Christian through those avenues, and you've started to fail to give what you truly need to give to Him. If there's anything that we can do for you, we ask that you come. As together we stand and sing.